What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of Boot Up, the LSU Basketball Podcast. I am Cody Worsham, digital media reporter for LSU Athletics. On today's show, we are going to look ahead to a huge matchup at the weekend against Tennessee as LSU heads into Saturday's clash with the Volunteers one game back in the SEC standings and a win puts LSU back on top in the conference. So a huge game. We're going to focus our attention there today. Uh, The Tigers did fall to Florida on Wednesday. I'm going to touch on that very quickly, Uh, but then we're going to move on to the Tennessee game. I had a good interview with Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, uh, about a 20-minute conversation touching on some big-picture things, how far LSU's come this season, uh, how he gets ready for games quick little preview of Tennessee as well at the end of that conversation. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But uh, let's start by looking back very quickly at LSU's loss to Florida in overtime uh, at the weekend. The Tigers fall 82-77 to in a game that was uh, not too dissimilar from others that LSU has played this year. Um, This time the Tigers just came out on the wrong end. But another close game, another game that came down to the last few minutes, the last few possessions, uh, Florida was just able to make some plays that LSU was not able to make. Um, The positives for LSU in the loss, I think Skyler Mays and Naz Reed were both outstanding. Uh, If you want a more detailed breakdown of this, by the way, I did Another Twitter thread, uh, as I do ever after every game, uh, breaking down some of the film. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Cody Worsham, and you can see that film breakdown there. I go a little bit more in detail than I will here, but I thought Skyler and Naz were great. Skyler had 18 points, 6 of 12 shooting, uh, made all four of his free throws, didn't turn it over, played some good defense, got some good stops late in that game. Uh, he was the one guy that really pushed it uh, in transition for LSU against that Florida defense that's so good. Florida came in as we talked about on the last episode, number 10 in the country in defensive efficiency. They slow you down. They play a slow tempo. They do a a 1-2-2 press that's more um, fake pressure more than anything just to kind of slow you down and and keep you out of a rhythm. LSU struggled with it a little bit, but Skyler did a nice job of pushing it. Nas Reed, again, was uh, was phenomenal. 16 points, 15 rebounds, had 11 points and 9 rebounds in the second half. Uh, Was was just outstanding. Played with great effort. Played with great energy. didn't I wouldn't say he started slow. He did only have three first half points, but he did have six rebounds. But he came out he came out uh, much more aggressive, I thought, and uh, just missed a couple shots around the rim that he normally makes in the first half. Cleaned that up in the second half. Made his free throws. I uh, had a great game. If those two guys play like that, LSU is going to be in good shape going forward. I, I also thought Marlon Taylor uh, had a nice game uh, as a starter. Hit a couple of threes, um, which was good to see. LSU is going to need his three point shooting at five rebounds in 28 minutes. And then Darius Days coming off the bench was really good for LSU. Nine points and four rebounds. In 11 minutes, uh, but but the story of the game to me was was uh, some things that as well as Florida played and, and credit to them they played very well. Uh, there were some things that LSU controlled that they just didn't quite execute. And what I mean by that is they missed nine layups and nine free throws. According to the box score, they missed nine layups uh, and then also missed nine free throws. That's 27 points left on the board in a game that went into overtime. Now, you're not going to make 100% of your free throws. You're not going to make 100% of your layups. There's a defense there. It's not a layup line. Um, They are contesting those shots, and Florida did a nice job contesting them. But uh, but LSU left those points on the board, and I think they'll look back at that and and, uh, and, and be a little displeased. The players came out afterward and said that, uh, that they just feel like Florida played harder. Um, that may be true. I, I thought LSU played with pretty good effort. I mean, Skyler Mays was diving on the floor. Nazareth was crashing the boards hard. I thought the guys gave pretty good energy and effort. It was just a little bit of attention to detail, and we've seen that pop up with this team at times this year. Now, let me qualify that by saying this. This is a 21-5 and team. 
This is a team that is 11-2 and two in conference. They're a good basketball team, and they've played much more good basketball than they have not good basketball. But there has been a tendency at times for them to maybe lose a little bit of focus and, and not quite execute the way that Will Wade and his staff want them to. And uh, in other games, it hasn't cost them. They've been able to overcome that with, with good runs and good uh, stretches of basketball. They weren't able to do that against Florida. Uh, I did think Florida hit some really tough shots on the stretch. Kavon Allen hit a couple. Noah Locke hit a couple. Um, uh, credit to them for, for making those tough shots. Their, their four-man, Keontae Johnson, hit a couple of really in, incredible shots. Um, but Will Wade said something interesting after the game uh, that was really honest, as Will Wade is, is, uh, is likely to do after a loss. And he talked about how this Florida team reminded him a little bit of Missouri and some other teams that LSU's played this year. I would throw Houston in that mix as well as a type of team that gives LSU trouble. And I'll I'll play that audio and then I'll expand a little bit. Uh, But here's Will Wade talking about um, those types of team and and how they give LSU trouble. Yeah, I mean, this is the type, you know, I'll say this. I mean, when when our season ends, we're going to lose to a team like this. This is the same type team Missouri is, the same type team. There's a certain type team that gives us a lot of problems. And, uh, you know, whenever our season ends, wherever that is, it's going to end just like this. It's going to be the same way because we just don't, just don't have some of that stuff to beat some of these teams. And we're either going to develop that over the next couple of weeks or this is, that's how it's going to end. And it's, it's, it's really that simple. So here's my interpretation of that. And, and, again, this is my interpretation. But I've noticed that before. I noticed it at Missouri, noticed it against Florida, noticed it against Houston. Teams that really pack in their defense – they don't try to get out in the passing lanes and tip passes and go the other way with it. They just kind of sit back off the ball. They pressure the ball hard, um, but the rest of the guys are packed into the paint. Those are the types of teams that has has given LSU the most trouble this year, in my opinion. Um, it's the teams that pack it in, that take away driving lanes. This is an LSU team that's that's very reliant on the ball screen, on Tremont Waters driving in, in, in the lanes and creating havoc from there. Teams that try to take away those driving lanes tend to give LSU the most trouble. Um, they're going to have to figure out how to play against that. That's that's something that Will Wade and his staff will be focusing on because every team is going to start defending them like that. I've noticed that in recent games. A lot more teams are packing it in. They're playing compact 3-2 zones or 1-2-2 zones, or they're playing compact man-to-man defenses and trying to make LSU shoot over the top of them. This is an LSU team that offensively is geared so much on, on points in the paint, getting into the paint. Um, getting to the free throw line and if you can try to keep them out of there make them a jump shooting team that seems to be the the strategy that teams are taking defensively against LSU I do think this team can can shoot better than it has been shooting but right now the numbers are what they are uh, and they haven't been a great three-point shooting team this year so uh, as teams continue to pack it in against LSU as they double team Tremont Waters on ball screens and try to make other guys beat them LSU is going to have to figure out a way to combat that a little bit but I don't want to overanalyze this game a whole lot because when I went back and watched the film, it looked a lot like other LSU games this season um, that are just close and back and forth affairs. And LSU just missed some shots that they normally make, and Florida missed or made some shots that uh, they normally miss by percentage. And, and that happens in basketball sometimes. Uh, the coaching staff will address some of the areas that that LSU needs to address to to try to make sure that the margins aren't so slim. Um, but when you miss free throws like LSU did, when you miss layups like they did um, those are those are things that, uh, that, that that'll cost you basketball games and so it's something they'll have to clean up especially going into this Tennessee game um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and play the interview that I did with Chris Blair 
Uh, it's a good conversation. Chris has a, a unique insight into this team because he travels with them on the road so much, because he's around them so much. I talked to Chris about this team. I talked to Chris about his his schedule right now, which is crazy, and I'm so thankful that he, he joined me on the podcast because he's doing baseball and basketball right now. In fact, last week, uh, he called the baseball game on opening night, Friday night. Saturday morning, he flew out to, uh, to Atlanta, drove to Athens for the game, and then he was back Sunday for the next baseball game. So he has one of the busiest schedules, but it's a job he loves, and uh, he has a great, great insight uh, on this team and on Will Wade and, and what they've done this year. So uh, let's throw to that conversation with Chris Blair, and when that wraps up, I'll come back and preview uh, Tennessee and, and give you some things to look out for for that game. But for now, here is the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. All right, joining us today on Boot Up, the LSU Basketball Podcast, the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. Chris, thanks for joining the show today. Um, before we get into some of the Tennessee talk, which is obviously going to be the, uh, the the main topic of conversation, um, I wanted to kind of get your perspective on this team and where it is right now because you've been there for, for just about every game. I mean, you've called so many games for this team, been on the sideline. Um, where they are now, 21-5, and 11-2, and two, surprised at, at how good this team has been or um, has, have they kind of been up to what you expected coming into the season? Uh, well, first of all, Cody, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, especially during that 10 game win streak and then uh, the most recent four game win streak that, you know, you kind of had a sense this team was going to be very good. I mean, obviously with the recruiting class coming in and just seeing what coach Wade and the staff were able to do last year, uh, you know, turning the roster upside down, bringing in some newcomers, and still making a competitive run, uh, you know, when a lot of people didn't think they'd do much of anything. So I thought they would be good, although I've got to admit, I'm a little surprised at how well they've played, how tough they've played. And I guess the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, the, the camaraderie of this team. I mean, you know, getting a chance to travel with them, going to practices, going to shoot around. Uh, it's as if they've been playing basketball together for a number of years, and when you consider the number of not only true freshmen but newcomers to this squad, uh, to me, that I think that's the most impressive thing that the staff and the team has been able to do, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're 21-5, and five, undefeated on the road in tough venues in the SEC, uh, and have lost just two games at home uh, in both of those conference games. So, uh, to me, that's kind of the biggest takeaway is how, you know, Coach Wade and the staff have been able to bring this team together um, and, and, you know, if you look back to the early part of the season, November and December, you know, I remember when they got back from the trip to Florida, there was a lot of talk about some things. Number one, they had to correct, but number two, kind of giving a little bit, the team giving a little bit, the coaching staff giving a little bit and finding that sweet spot. And, uh, you know, they went on a run there and they certainly found it. So, uh, kudos to them and, and kudos to the team for, for, I think, uh, probably surprising most people. Uh, this season and, and exceeding expectations, even though we thought it was going to be a good year. Yeah, I want to go back to that point in time because there was a really interesting question last uh, last week on the podcast. Uh, someone asked, what was the turning point for LSU this season? And I go back to that St. Mary's game, the Houston game, um, the, the kind of the space between the Houston game and the St. Mary's game where Will Wade has talked about it. Uh, other other guys have talked about it on the team. They, they had a team meeting before that St. Mary's game, and since then, as you mentioned, the staff has given a little bit, the players have given a little bit, and there's been a clear response from that. You were there for that St. Mary's game. Do you remember kind of sensing that, or is it something that you think has been sort of a slow burn since then? You know, I, I, it looked to me, and, and Coach Brady and I talked about it when we left Houston, 
you know, that was kind of the first game, uh, even though they had lost the games uh, in Orlando, it was the first game where, A, they were in a real hostile environment, and there was a team that didn't back down. And you had a number of great players on this team, and they realized real quick, you know, every team we're playing has got a bunch of really good players. Uh, and then when you put them in that atmosphere and their back was against the wall, uh, they weren't able to, to really get things done and get over the hump. Uh, and then it was kind of a somber trip from Houston to Las Vegas. Um, and then, you know, after that practice, and it was Coach Wade and the players that we found out later that evening that, that kind of had that meeting. Um, and then they came out and, and played really well and did the things down the stretch in a ball game they didn't do against Houston. They didn't do uh, against Oklahoma State, and certainly they didn't do late in the game against Florida State. And you kind of felt like leaving that game against St. Mary's, even though you know they made it a close game tight, we had seen that before, and LSU was able to overcome it. And then when we made our way back, it, it almost seemed at that point now, uh, then they played Alabama to start the year, and it was another game in which they had a lead, but then it started to dwindle down. But again, in that final six minutes, they were able to do the things to, to win. And you know as well as I do how many times they've done that uh, at home and on the road. So, you know, whatever it was said in that meeting, um, it, it certainly seemed to click. But, but the takeaway from it was, you know, Coach Will Wade has told me many times when he recruits a kid to come to play here, you're going to have to do what Coach Wade and the staff ask you to do. They're, you're going to bend to them. Uh, they're not going to bend to you. But he did say, you know, we, we, we realize that we have to treat each player and connect with each player differently, and it can't just be across the board, this is how we do it. So, you know, I'm guessing that's, again, reading between the lines, that's kind of what was talked about. But, again, whatever it was, it certainly worked. I want to talk to you a little bit about your craft and, and how you operate um, because – in, in some senses, you have one of the most enviable jobs in the world. And then there's some times where I think, man, I would not ever do the job that Chris is doing right now. And specifically what I mean is after a loss. Now, fortunately, there haven't been a whole lot of losses this year. Um, but, you know, like now after a loss, like I'm in a press conference with 10, 15, 20 other reporters. I don't have to ask a question. I can just sit there and let everyone else ask the questions. But you've got to ask Will Wade questions after every loss. So I'm curious what it's like to uh, – not, not just prepare for a game, but to, to have to adapt on the fly, win or lose, and, and, and know, um, you know, I, I've worked with Will enough to know there's some games that after the game he's more than happy to talk about, you know, this is what we did wrong, we need to fix this. There's other games where he's just mad and, and a natural, as any coach would be, and he's got to process that, um, and, and you've got to cater to that. You've got to work with him on that. So I'm curious how you approach doing that, which you, you do that with coaches all the time, but specifically with Will Wade. It really helps when the coach is is that type of uh, uh, personality where, you know, uh, what I try to do, and, and you know, you kind of get a lot of training for that uh, during coaches' shows, and I've been doing those for over 15, 16 years, and you kind of get a camaraderie with your coach, and you understand that coming out and basically saying the team is awful and, you know, this was a bad outing and this, that, and the other, um, you know, it, it puts them in a defensive stance. Now, I'll be the first to be to admit you can call me a homer all you want, and that's fine. I think that term's used a little loosely. But you know, my job is to to try to get the coach to tell things that maybe he would not want to tell otherwise. But the way you frame that question is, Coach, you really stunk it up on defense tonight. I mean, you know, what's what's the deal with this team? That's a harsh, you know, connotation to a question when you <laughs> simply say, Coach, I know that you make defense one of your priorities. You know, when you look at the tape last night, you know, what were the things that you didn't get done? And that kind of leads the yeah. coach into what he's already told the team and he's already talked to his staff about. Yeah. But, you know, the example you give about, you know, following a game, 
let's be honest, uh, you know, after the game uh, this past midweek, uh, the loss to Florida, you know, he came to us courtside immediately leaving the team before he got to the press uh, conference room. And, you know, you could just sense in his body that, you know, he, he was not happy at all. I mean, you could tell by his walk when he made his way over there that it was, you know, he had, he had things going through his head that he wanted to fix right now. And the last thing he wanted to do was talk to me, talk to Coach Brady, and no offense, talk to you guys. He wanted to get right back to the film room and start cutting it up and uh, making corrections. So, you know, those are those are difficult. Um, but again, it's great and refreshing to have a coach like Will Wade who has no problem. And he didn't, you know, in the loss to Florida. He came out and flat out said, you know, we, we didn't respect him. A lot of people immediately, I think, said, well, Obviously, they were looking ahead to to Tennessee. I'm not so sure. Listening yeah. to him talk, I don't think it was overlooking the Florida matchup. I think they he felt like they just didn't respect Florida enough. Here's a perfect example. He talked about uh, leading up to practice in that matchup. He said, this is one of the best teams, if not the best teams, and underneath out-of-bounds plays. And they worked on it, and they worked on it. When they didn't get it correct, they worked on it some more. And he kept hammering home, even hours before the game, that that is where they're going to find easy points that could make the difference in this game. And you were there. It looked like you know virtually every time they had the ball on the end line, they got points. Um, so that I knew frustrated him a little bit. And um, but you know again, I think fans appreciate the fact that that uh, he calls it like he sees it. Uh, you know the 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 win over Kentucky. He came to us uh, at Rupp Arena, and and you could just sense, again, in the way he walked and his body language and, and the things that he said and the tone of his voice that he was extremely proud of those guys going there and doing something that not many LSU teams have done in history. Um, so, again, Coach Brady and I typically try to get the, the, the body language as he sits down. If we get a high five, then we know we can go and have some fun. But uh, it wasn't the case after Florida. But I think, you know, I certainly appreciate it. And I think fans listening appreciate it. Yeah, he, he does wear his emotions on his sleeve, so that makes it a little bit easier. You can read the situation. Um, I, another question that kind of gears toward what you do on a, on a weekly basis, I have the luxury of just covering LSU. And so I'm typically, when I'm writing, I'm just writing about LSU. I don't have to do a whole lot of prep for the opposing team. I'll look at, you know, the numbers and the stats, and Will will tell us, you know, what things that they're looking toward and working for. But you've got to call a game. So you have to um, know every player up and down the roster. I've seen your, your call sheets. They're extremely detailed. They're, um, they're, they're just interesting to look at for, for, if, for nothing else. They're obviously very useful for you. But what is your process like? preparing for a game, especially a game like this Tennessee game where you know the stakes are huge and there's going to be ears um, from all over the country listening in. How do you get ready for a game like that? You know, one of the things um, that, I, that I like to do, especially uh, because I am calling LSU games, and I think that, you know, the, the passion that LSU fans have for, for all of their teams, I mean, up and down, uh, you know, softball, gymnastics, football, basketball, baseball, and, and the like, you know, I don't need to get that in depth because these guys and these fans they know these players, um, and obviously I got to keep up with it. But but that's kind of stuff that you see on a daily basis. So you know you know we got off the win uh, off the loss of Florida, and and for us it's kind of a quick turnaround. Not to mention I've got a baseball game, uh, you know the the night before. But I I got to work on Tennessee quick, and normally what I'll do is you know wait for those. Precious game notes to come in from the Tennessee Sports Information Department. Kent's nice enough to send them to me hot off the press as soon as he gets them um, and start diving into Tennessee because I think if there's people who are relying on Coach Brady and, and myself to relay you know, the, the matchup as the game goes on, 
uh, they don't know a lot about Tennessee. So if if things happen, like for example, in the Georgia game, uh, or check that the Arkansas game, uh, there were guys on their team hitting three pointers. That okay, they hit a three pointer, and Arkansas now has hit X number of three pointers. But the fact that we knew that one guy had hit only three all season and suddenly put two in back to back, you know, kind of again. Uh, uh, magnifies the point to the listener that, wow, this this normally doesn't happen. Think that Arkansas is doing things beyond what they should be doing on average. So digging into the opponent is is probably the, the deepest thing. When I try to put those charts together, I got a lesson a long time ago from uh, Woody Durham, who was a longtime voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels and a huge hero of mine. And, and I, I always was amazed at his preparation. I, I saw him during a, a football game one time when we played them in Chapel Hill, and I was just amazed. He had, I don't know how he found anything. There was just scribbles and notes and numbers all over these big <laughs> sheets of paper. And he told me that he uses about 10% of that on a given game. Wow. You know, because the game dictates the action, and you don't have time to sit and bloviate about, you know, this stat or this person. But he said, I feel safer. It's like a security blanket. I know that if all of a sudden the action stopped or the power went out and the lights go down and we, we had to be talking about something uh, for some extended period of time, I've got it all there. And it makes me comfortable to know that I have it all there. So I don't know that I don't use but 10%, but, but I don't get to all of it. But it's nice. And sometimes the game will lead you right into one of those things or one of those nuggets that you picked up and uh, you know that's when you feel like, wow, it was worth taking that extra minute to go through that final page of the notes because yeah. something just happened that 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 you know triggered your memory so uh, the preparation usually for the opponent is much more difficult you know after about the first three weeks uh, of a team season for LSU because at that point you've kind of been watching what they do and yeah. you can you can kind of recall from memory but uh, it's, it's a lot of research and this is the fun time of year because uh, uh, this week I was researching Florida uh, southeastern Louisiana and baseball Tennessee and basketball, and uh, really had to dig deep to find some stuff about Bryant. Yeah. Which, but which, by the way, here's a neat little note I'm going to use on sure. the broadcast. Bryant, one of their um, top alumni or most notable alumni, uh, was a guy by the name of Mr. Tupper, and uh, he was the founder of Tupperware. <laughs> there you go. Radio gold right there. See, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about that, and, and we'll finish up by talking about Tennessee in a second and, and some keys to the game, but – I wanted to ask you about this time of year because for you it's got to be crazy just the, the travel schedule and the work schedule. Um, I know football season is 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 its own entity unto itself, and then there's some football basketball overlap. But with this basketball baseball overlap, where basketball is playing 30, 35 games a year, forty games a year, uh, baseball's playing fifty six games the regular season, and here at LSU it goes well beyond that. This time of year has got to be just crazy for you. Give our listeners an idea of like, I know last week in particular, this week has been a little hectic. What's, what's the busiest week look like for you? Well, uh, last week was probably up there, although <laughs> depending on uh, how Will Wade and this Tiger team do, it could get even busier here uh, in the month of March. But, you know, you're right. Football is kind of its own monster in the sense that you know you're playing on Saturday, uh, Sunday sometimes to open the season. But once the weeks uh, start going, it's Saturday. And you've got all week to kind of – put all of that information together. So it's it's quite a bear because it's a little different from basketball and baseball simply because you got to do a lot of research on LSU. you got to get those numbers together for all 22 of, of my two deep on both offense and defense. Yep. And then, of course, the opponent, same, same deal, 44 players. Uh, but the busiest time of year is obviously when basketball and baseball, uh, you know, intersect. And, you know, last week, I, 
the plan was for me to go with uh, the basketball team on Friday to Athens. And then I started looking at the schedule, and I thought, you know, it's a, it's a 6 o'clock Eastern game uh, in Athens. Um, we play at night, and, and I, I just didn't want to miss opening night. You know, I hadn't missed it yet in the yep. four seasons I've been here. And there's really something special about being at the box. Everybody's excited. So we decided that I would stay back on Friday, do the baseball game, and then hit a plane at BTR early and then get to Atlanta and drive to Athens, which is about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so that's what I did. Um, but, but again, we do so many different things in each of those broadcasts. There's, there's different sponsor reads that go with basketball, that go with baseball. I've got notebooks that go with each. And, you know, after the baseball game, I came back over here to the office to make sure I changed out the basketball stuff because the worst thing in the world to do is get there and, you know, have all these reads about here's the free throw percentage brought to you by and the rebounds. So, um, uh, and as long as I can keep it, you know, basketball court, baseball field, and not basketball field and baseball court, I feel like I'm winning. But I love all of the coaches I work with, and I respect them so much that, you know, it, it takes a little extra time because I, I don't want to let Coach Maneri down. I don't yeah. want to let uh, uh, Coach Will Wade down, and obviously don't want to uh, let Coach O down. So, that time of the year, uh, last week, was probably the pinnacle of how busy it gets. Uh, this weekend, we're going to do double duty. I'll do Friday night, Saturday morning basketball, and then run across the street and do baseball, and then again on Sunday. But um, I tell people all the time, to complain about that would be, you know, people would just laugh at you and yep. probably be angry at you because you got a great seat to see some of the best student uh, amateur athletes uh, in the country, and you got a great seat to do it in these great venues and on top of that, LSU is, you know, in the top 25 in all these sports right now, and, and you wouldn't want to miss it. I don't want to miss a single play from basketball or baseball if I can help it. Yeah, it's a good time to uh, to be covering the Tigers for sure. Okay, let's uh, let's finish up by just talking about this Tennessee game. And I was on a radio spot this morning. They asked me some of the things that I thought were key to this game. I know you're knee-deep in your research right now. Um, coming off the loss to Florida, Tennessee is, is obviously um, – one of the best teams in the country, leading the SEC right now. What are some things that you think the Tigers are going to have to do better against the Volunteers? I think they're going to have to handle the double team a little bit better, Cody, to be honest with you. And, you know, that was one of the questions I posed to Will Wade following the Florida loss. I said, you know, they, they came out and they doubled Tremont when he touched the ball. They doubled Nas when he was down on the post. And, and I immediately saw him wince because he said, yes, we knew that was coming. We worked on it. We didn't execute. Um, and I get the sense that we're going to see a, a steady diet of some of that, if not all of that, coming up against Tennessee. Now, offensively, they run a little faster than, than Florida, but defensively, I think um, that's probably what you're going to see. So the Tigers are going to have to execute, and it also means that if Tremont Waters is you know scores two points in the first half and finishes with 10 and, and Nas Reed isn't able to fight through it the way he did to get a double-double against Florida, somebody else is going to have to step up. So I, I think if they can handle the double team, uh, and find the open man and, and play unselfish and also cut down on the three-point shots. You know, I, I think this team is a better shooting team than we've seen at times, mm -hmm. but I like some of the games where they took like 12 threes or yep. 14 threes as opposed to 20 or more, at least based on their averages. And then defensively, uh, you know, Tennessee, I was just looking at it this morning. I mean, 16 games this season they've shot over 50%, and you've heard Coach Brady talk about it. The field goal percentage stat to him is the most important. And the Tigers uh, have been very successful uh, when they've won the field goal stat all season long. And they've been successful at times when they haven't won the field goal stat, Cody. And that's been because they've offset it with free throw shooting, getting to the line often, knocking them down, which they didn't do last time out, and winning on the glass on the offensive rebounds. And to me, that was kind of the recipe for disaster 
against Florida, the fact that you know they shot 64% from the free throw line, which was very uncharacteristic with plenty of opportunities. Uh, and then you know they kind of didn't dominate the glass, and Florida held their own. Um, I think LSU was a little surprised at how physical Florida was. I think they're going to get a dose of that uh, with Tennessee. Um, so if you can't win the field goal stat, you've got to win some other stats, and that's going to come from turnovers, free throw, getting to the line, and, and obviously holding your own on the glass. So to me, those are, are the keys to this matchup. If they're able to do that and maybe shoot the ball a little bit better, I think they got as good a chance as anybody in the country in upsetting the number five balls. All right, that's Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, who is a busy man this time of year, so we greatly appreciate your time today on Boot Up, Chris. Thanks for joining the show. No, Cody, let's do it again. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff I put on my charts I steal from you, so I might as well just admit <laughs> it now. So I appreciate some of the research you do. makes my job a little easier when it comes to doing the, the Tigers charts. That, that's uh, that's open source material, so free, free, uh, feel free to use whatever you want, Chris. Thanks. All right, man. All right, let's close out today's show by looking a little bit closer at Tennessee and the challenges that the Volunteers will pose for LSU. Uh, quick overview, Tennessee is 24-2 and on the season, 12-1 and in the SEC. Their only two losses this season were an overtime loss to Kansas on a neutral site and a road loss to Kentucky. Um, maybe a little bit of a slump here for Tennessee over the last couple games after losing to Kentucky pretty handily after struggling offensively uh, against Vanderbilt at home. Vanderbilt has yet to win a game in the SEC this year, but gave Tennessee some trouble. Tennessee only won that game 58-46. to Maybe a little bit of a slump for Tennessee, but that's probably not the best of news for LSU because you know they're going to come out wanting to play well against the Tigers. Uh, a quick personnel overview uh, the guy that makes the Volunteers go is Grant Williams. He is a National Player of the Year candidate. He is an SEC Player of the Year candidate, probably the front runner. Um, he has been unbelievable for Tennessee this year. Uh, he was the the Conference Player of the Year last year, and he is back in full force this season. Uh, I'll quickly run down his stats and then talk about some of the other guys on the team. But uh, he's averaging 19.1 points per game, 7.6 rebounds per game, 3.3 uh, assists per game, which is quite the number for a big. He's shooting 58% from the field, 83% at the line, and even knocking down 34% of his three-pointer. So he's a do-everything big man, uh, one of the best players in the conference. LSU will have its hands full, and he's kind of the, the prototypical big that gives LSU – issues in the past because he's not huge he's not overpowering with his height but he's thick he's sturdy he can step out and, and knock down jumpers um, he's going to grab every rebound in sight he's super efficient he draws a ton of fouls 13th in the country drawing seven fouls per 40 minutes so uh, against an LSU front line that's had issues with foul trouble this season that is definitely something to watch for I'll be curious to see how LSU guards Grant Williams if they put Naz Reed on him, if they put Cavell Bigby Williams on him, uh, how much run Darius Days and Emmett Williams get against him, uh, that will be very interesting to see because he is uh, he is a handful and uh, he's been excellent this season for Tennessee. Uh, he has next to him probably the best sidekick in the country in Admiral Schofield, who would be 
the go-to guy on any other team. Uh, he's been outstanding for Tennessee this year as well. He's averaging 16.5 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, uh, shooting 48% from the field and f- almost 40% from three. Another super efficient player, uh, a guy that can knock down a ton of threes in a hurry. Um, this is yet another matchup issue for LSU. I would assume that Marlon Taylor gets first crack at Admiral Schofield, and it's so, so fortunate for LSU. Not fortunate. It's good coaching and good recruiting to have Marlon Taylor for this game and to have him on this roster because he is a guy that I think can stay with Schofield uh, in terms of size and speed and athleticism, um, but another guy that it's a two-pronged attack. It is a uh, Williams on the inside, Schofield from the outside, and Schofield can put it on the floor and put it on the deck and, and make plays that way. Um, he, he's been he's been uh, stellar this year uh, as well for Tennessee. He's been in double figures and it looks like his last 10 games. So, in uh, double figures in all but two games this year. And uh, he's, he's a special player. So, those are the two go to guys. The guy that I like uh, a lot for them is Jordan Bone, their point guard. He's averaging 13 points a game, six and a half assists per game, uh, leads the SEC in assist to turnover margin. He, uh, he, he, if you remember Andrew Nimhard for Florida, who gave LSU some issues with eight assists and, and two, uh, two turnovers, um, he's, Bone is kind of the, the grown-up version of Nimhard. Nimhard was a freshman. Uh, Bone is, is an experienced player. He is a senior, uh, a guy that has been uh, through, the, through the ringer for, um, for Tennessee. I'm sorry, he's a junior this year. Um, but he feels like a senior because he's been playing for so long. He's, he's very efficient. He's shooting over 41% from three in conference play this year does not turn the ball over, um, doesn't commit fouls. He, he's actually fourth in the SEC uh, in terms of he only fouls 1.6 times per game. So he can defend you without fouling. He can get steals. He's second only to Tremont Waters in the conference in assist rates. He, he's steady, a guy that plays at his own pace, uh, a guy that really controls what Tennessee does on that end of the floor. Uh, I really like Jordan Bone, and I'll be interested to see if Tremont Waters gets that assignment or if they put Skyler Mays on him, which uh, which may be the way they go just because he's a bigger point guard. Uh, some of the role players for Tennessee, Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden are kind of their outside shooting threats. Uh, those two guys have made 31 and 33 threes this season, respectively. Uh, both can get hot in a hurry from the outside. Kyle Alexander uh, is a big who can uh, who can do some different things for them inside. Very, very efficient scorer. Gets to the free throw line. Uh, doesn't step out to shoot a bunch of threes, but shoots over 60 uh, over 60% from the field this season. So he, he's a really efficient player as well. Um, and he's going to be kind of their five-man with Grant Williams at the four in, in Schofield on the wing, Turner on the other wing, Bone handling the ball. That's their go-to lineup um, for, for Tennessee. So th- this is a really good team. They're second in the country in offensive efficiency. They're 40th in def- defensive efficiency, which is a good number, but they're, uh, they're second in the SEC in conference games alone. Um, they, they shoot so efficiently, they never turn the ball over. They lead the SEC in turnover percentage offensively. And, uh, and they're very, very effective at the free throw line, shooting 82% in conference game as a team. Some areas perhaps that LSU can exploit, Tennessee's not great defending the three-point shot. Uh, they're, they're allowing opponents to shoot 36.4% from three in conference play. That's 12th in the conference. So uh, for a team that for LSU that's been up and down from the three-point line, um, that could be an area that the Tigers could attack. But um, other than that, Tennessee is, is – uh, is, a pretty bulletproof team. They're really good 
they knocked off Louisville on a neutral site. They knocked off Gonzaga on a neutral site. They were at, at one point this season the number one team in the country before losing to Kentucky. It's a huge game for LSU, and uh, I know tickets are sold out. I'm sure there's some seats still available on uh, on on StubHub or or SeatGeek or wherever you get tickets from. But uh, it's uh, it's going to be a wild atmosphere in the PMAC, and I'm looking forward to the game. And we'll try to get back early next week and, and recap it as quickly as possible. One last thing to plug before we leave today's show. LSU Basketball just put out a video on Twitter. I'm recording at 1127. Uh, at 11 o'clock, LSU Basketball tweeted out a video, uh, a hype video for the game tomorrow that uh, that I spent a little time working on that Will Stout, uh, one of our video guys over here, made. It's uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic video. It'll get you excited for the game. It'll get you fired up. Hopefully it reminds you a little bit of the history of LSU basketball and the fact that right now this team has a chance to make history uh, as we watch them. So a uh, good video and, uh, and a huge game on Saturday, 11 a.m. tip. Uh, ESPN national audience going to be tuning in. Hopefully you will be tuning in as well. Uh, okay, that's it for today's episode of Boot Up. If you haven't yet, give us a rating, give us a review, give us a subscription, share us with your friends, and uh, and thanks for listening. And hopefully we'll see you next week with a win under the Tigers' belt. Until then, thanks for listening to Boot Up.